everyone, this is Martin Tyler, and you're listening to Everything is Football. Don't go away. Hello, everyone. I'm Mark Geshwin, and welcome to episode three of the EIF show. I am once again with Tomas Horsell. And the first thing we're going to jump into right away is one that... It's a topic that's been discussed a lot on Twitter recently as we've seen some ridiculous valuations of players. And with that, it has made people discuss which positions are the most important and which are the positions should you be shelling out the big bucks for. Do you really need to spend 70, 80 million pounds on a center back? Should you save that for a midfielder or an attacker? Tomas, what's your stance? I think... Starting this out, Mark, I think it's, we should make it clear that here we're not trying to talk about the value of transfers in general because I think we, we both acknowledge that the market's really inflated right now yeah. and values are all over the place. Having said that, uh, the two of us were talking about center backs in particular, especially after the Virgil van Dijk for $70 million and rumors have started coming out. And really just looking at that, we both said absolute red light in our last show. And the reason it's not because van Dijk's not a good player, don't get me wrong, he's a very good center back. It's because, like we said in the last show... There's no center back in this world, maybe other than Sergio Ramos, maybe Bonucci. Maybe. Maybe Bonucci. That you'd sign for that much money. Because why? You can go out there and get, like, Lindelof, like some man you get, for $30 million. You can go out there and get, like, a Nacho, for example. Very good center back. You can get him for, what, 25 maybe? 20 Maybe that's a stretch. But 25 mm-hmm. I think would be a fair valuation. So why go out there and spend $70 million on a player? Or, a better example, John Stones, you know, last season, £50 million. Pounds. David Luiz sold to PSG a few years ago, 50 million pounds as well. You know, why go out there and spend that much money on these guys when you could go out there and spend 70 million, be it for a world-class striker that's going to bring in 30 goals a season, be it for two top players that you could get maybe get for 30 and 40 million that would help in the attack, where really for center back you can find such good value for cheap. And really, just on one more point before I move over to you, Mark, David Luiz, now who I just touched on, when we had him the first time around, everyone thought he was a very good player, but nobody thought he was a good center back. Why? Because that system, he really had no protection. You know, So whenever he, with how erratic he was, whenever he made a mistake, he was completely exposed. He comes back from PSG. I don't really think he's a better player now than he was the first time around. Maybe he's developed a little bit, obviously, a few years on him. But in terms of just his overall level, I wouldn't say he's improved massively. But you look at the season he just had, and some people are saying he's world-class now. And, I mean, I love seeing him the way, the way he's playing, but that's not because he suddenly became world-class, but rather because in Conte's system, he just fits. Same with Spiliqueta, just comes in and plays a right center back when originally he was a right back. He's played, he can play anywhere, it seems. But it shows you that in the back line, you can bring these players, you can find good value for money, and depending on the system, a player that once might have been average could be seemingly world-class, and the other way around as well with, like we saw, Miranda at Atletico and then at, at Inter Milan. Mm. And so, yeah, it's all, all good points there, and I'm in agreement here about your particular thing about center backs. But we're looking specifically um, trying to value each position is basically what you're doing here. Um, you know, it's not saying that center backs aren't important. It's not saying that you know outside backs aren't important, goalkeepers right. aren't important. But if I'm building a team, and you're given like a certain budget, you know, a hundred million pounds, whatever it might be, you are spending the bulk of that money always on the attacking players, and people always say. Oh, it's so unfair, like a center back. They never get credit. They never win the Ballon d'Or. You never see defensive players win the Ballon d'Or. What do you mean? I mean, it's just it's just quite simple. Everyone knows it. That atta- the hardest, the most important thing in soccer is goal scoring. And to do that, you have to create the goal, midfielders, wingers, whoever it might be, or you need to score the goals, attackers. And yes, it's important to not concede goals, but at the end of the day, 
you have to be scoring if you want to be winning, and those are the players that get it done, and those are the players that are thus the most valuable on your team. So while 100% you acknowledge that center backs are important, it's better to have good center backs than bad center backs, but if you're building a team and you want to get the, the best out of it, you should be looking to spend your money on attacking players first um, rather than shelling out all this re- these ridiculous fees on, on center backs or right backs or goalkeepers. And it also, to another point, it kind of stems from the fact that defending in general is an easier skill than attacking. And the gap between, for instance, the best goalkeeper, Manuel Neuer, and just going to throw a name, not an average goalkeeper, but a good, a decent goalkeeper in like Jordan, like Pickford is not as wide of a gap between say like Messi and comparing another player on Everton, like Yannick Bolasi. And obviously like you might say, Messi's a bit of an outlier. Me- okay. So, 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 so maybe like even like, a, um, like an Eden Hazard or a, or a Neymar, sure. someone who's like prop, like comparable to Neuer in terms of status. And then you look at like a you know just using Everton. Not sure why we're picking. <laughs> not sure why we're picking Everton here. But like the difference between like a Neymar and a Yannick Bellassi and a Neuer and a Jordan Pickford is just night and day for me. You swap out Pickford and Neuer on Bayern Munich. I think Bayern Munich are pretty much they're winning the Bundesliga still. They're doing everything. You swap out like Neymar and Yannick Bellassi, Everton are all of a sudden could be shot immediately into the top four. Top six. I think they're sh- a player like Neymar shooting immediately into the top four, and you swap out, like, Yannick Bellassi for Neymar in Barcelona, I mean, that is a huge <laughs> drop-off in quality. I mean, it's just, it's night and day. So, again, it comes to the fact that attackers get the business, get the job done. Those are the people I would focus my, focus my money on. And, again, when you look at, like, the difference between the top center backs and an average center back, a top goalkeeper and an average goalkeeper, between, like, top, top playmaker, forward, midfielder, whoever, and an average one, the difference that you notice is when you don't have that top quality attacker, midfielder, or whatever. And I'm, I'm going on a little bit here, but I'll, I'll try and point to an example so people don't think I'm just spewing nonsense. And, you know, it's not always going to happen, but an example I do look at is Thiago Silva against Barcelona in the Champions League was injured for the first leg. They put in an academy kid, President Kimpembe. They dominate, have no problems whatsoever when 4-0 Barcelona didn't even threaten once. Next game, Thiago Silva comes back. Everyone's like, oh, if they didn't even threaten when Kimpembe was on the field, imagine what they'll do when they have the, you know, a top three center back in the world in there. What happened? 6-1. So, you know, it's not like a perfect science and it's not an exact thing and it's not like, oh, you know, swapping Kimpembe for Thiago Silva every single day is going to make you a better team. But it's just that the difference between the two is just fairly negligible. And, you know, if, if, for instance, like Neymar was injured for the Barcelona game and they're swapping him out for, like, Rafinha... In that game, for instance, they're never making that comeback. But if you swapped out PK for Marlon, <laughs> it's still on the cards because that, you know it's still on the ten. And so that's my final point. Tomas, you can add in whatever you'd like now. But I think we're we're again unique to the viewers here that we may be in some agreement on this. We're though. finally in some agreement. I think it's funny how we started this. Really, uh, even before we saw this on Twitter, was when we were we saw a poll come out uh, that was discussed by the Undisputed Show on FS1 between Skip Bayless and and Shannon Sharp where they rated, some NFL website rated the top players in the NFL, and they said the two best players were J.J. Watt and that guy for the Rams, I forget his name, also a D-N-D tackle. And the point is, the, Skip Bayless said this, you cannot rate the best player to be a defender there because at the end of the day, the top 10 should all be QBs. No. The same thing applies with football. You have to score, and it's like you said, and as simple as that is, when you have someone that the play goes through, be it a Messi or a top-class striker, top-class midfielder, that's how you're going to get the goals. I don't care if I have Sergio Ramos there. If I'm Sunderland, what's that really going to do? That's maybe going to improve my defense a little bit. 
But like you said, I bring in Neymar. That's a completely different story. Mm. And and going away from just center backs, uh, you touch upon a few different positions. With goalkeepers, I think that's a great example because you can have a world-class keeper and maybe he will save you a couple more times throughout the season. But on average, the amount of points lost in a game or won in a game from a goalkeeper are not going to vary too much between Emmanuel Neuer and a Jordan Pickford. Whereas a player like Neymar versus a Yannick Bolasi, I, I would assume the points would be much, much wider than what would be with that. So I think for once we're in agreement here. And, you know, we're just going to say sorry to Yannick Bolasi here. We think you're a fantastic player. He, he In fact, he, <laughs> he liked, he, re, he retweeted one of our videos. So, Yannick, if you're out there, we, you know, you're a great player. Great we'll, player. We'll, we'll make a video for you one of these days. But, uh, <laughs> to, to, exactly, to get, to get on Tomas's point once again, Manchester United finished sixth last year in the league. And if they were trying to make that step to become like a clear, clear, clear title contender, do they sign... Leonardo Bonucci for 70 million pounds, but does that really impact them? Not that much? so much better than does, Lindelof does, and does Bailey. Not that much better than Lindelof and Bailey. Does that win them maybe like two to three more points? Maybe, maybe, who knows? But you bring in Neymar and you're just instantly, instantly the favorite. Because it's you, about how many points these positions win you or lose you. And yeah. at the end of the day, I think that although a goalkeeper might lose you more points, say if a goalkeeper makes a mistake and you lose the game on zero, he costs you three points. With a striker, he wins you points. A goalkeeper can't really win you points. They yeah. can just cost the game. Same with a center back, maybe, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So, You're just impacting the game in, in less areas. You right. impact the game just not as much as attackers and midfielders who can get on the ball more often. They do more things for your team. So for, it really is, I think, quite simple. I think people overrate. It's not necessarily like, yeah, I think they do. I will say that. I think people overrate the importance of center backs and goalkeepers because I think that the difference between the two, like the, as I said, I keep saying, like the top center backs and the average center backs isn't as much as the top strikers and average strikers. And I, I think people I'm sure are going to point it out like they're going to say look at Sergio Ramos how many points he won for his team or Gary Cahill this past season or look at Marcelo and, and Philip Lom or Donny Alves. We understand that they're outliers here. We're not saying they're not. Yeah. We're just saying on average yeah. if you take away these exceptional players that are just such such an outlier really you want the better. You want a better attacker. You want to invest money there, and that's going to make the difference. Right. And so, and, and it's honestly funny. Why do people rate Sergio Ramos super highly? He is a fantastic defender, and I think he's underrated as a defender. Right. But it, it's like, why do people rate him? He scores a lot of goals, <laughs> and like, and say, and people always say, oh, like you shouldn't rate him because of that. But it's like, uh, that's that that is an important thing to do if you're goal scoring. If you're scoring goals from center back, it's like that is a, that is an important trait. But either way, end of the day, if I if I'm building a team. You, you build it through the midfielders and the strikers. Money left over. You can find value at other areas. Center back, right back, goalkeeper. First things first, get your brilliant, game-changing midfielders and attackers. So now we're going to move on to red light, green light, where we're going to say some statements. And green light if we agree, red light if we disagree. So the very first one, slightly controversial. Real Madrid should sell Gareth Bale. I think we're both going to agree on this one, Mark. I, surprisingly enough, for me, it's a green light. I I think for me, first of all, we saw that Madrid without Bale last season were not arguably better. They were a better team. And you could put that down maybe to Bale having been injured and not really hitting top form last season. But I don't, I don't believe this team will miss a beat without Bale. And I think they could sell him in today's market for 100, I can't even, 80 to 120 million maybe. Sell him back to the Prem. And at the end of the day, are you going to be a worse team? No. You, I mean, you saw the starting lineups are going to be just as good because he really didn't contribute to that. And at the end of the day, I think Bale on top form is 
no doubt a top 10 player in the world. Maybe even top five on, on his day, although I wouldn't really put him there just overall. I think that he he doesn't even fit Madrid. I always said this to you. I don't think he fits Madrid with Ronaldo, the new Ronaldo you know, version that we, that we talk about. I think Bale tries to be that too much in Madrid. I think he needs to go back to somewhere like Tottenham or maybe Manu where he'll be that main man, the main focus. And, of course, needs to stay healthy. He can't stay healthy. That's another reason I'd, I'd get rid of him. Yeah, it's 100% a green light for me too. And I think, uh, like, Perez really wanted this to work. Mm-hmm. It was his, It was kind of the Galacticos part two. It was when he was, like, able to come back and, you know, get involved in this. And that's what he was trying to do, get these big Galactico signings in. And I think he wanted it to keep working. Like, he wanted him to play in all these games. And if, even if he didn't really fit, he wanted him to play. And I guess to sort of justify it, to sort of prove that, you know, it wasn't a waste of money. But it's like now they've they've won three Champions Leagues with him in the team. And regardless of how much he... I mean, he did contribute to the first one, scoring the winning goal. He did contribute to the second one, was, you know, arguably the man of the match in that final. They did win in penalties, but he was really good in that final. And in the third one, he, heart, he didn't contribute at all. But they still won it. You know, people like to say Ronaldo won the, the Euro of Portugal, and he didn't contribute in the final either. So we can say that Bale did too, right? Anyway. Um, and so he's justified the money now, three CLs. Yep. And you you can tell that they just 100% don't need him. They're better. They were better all season long when they played the 4-4-2 with Isco, Cruz, Modric, Casemiro, Ronaldo, and Benzema up front. They don't need the goals because they score in every single game, regardless of whether or not he plays. As Tomas said, incredibly injury prone. I think you just it's better off to get rid of him. It's it, he's done his job there. He's had a good stint there. Probably not as good as people hope for, but still. How can you say he didn't justify the money when they've, with him and the team, they've won three Champions Leagues in four years? So I think it's, it was a great thing they had going. We're not discrediting him. Yeah, not discrediting him. He's a great player, and I think he deserves to be in a place where he can be the main main man, as you said. Go to a place like Man U, go back to Spurs, elevate Spurs. A guy, a signing like Bale would elevate Spurs into that top team in the world category. Go back there. Um, I think it's time for him to go, and especially because I think if they do decide to get rid of Bale, they would bring in Mbappe, and that's better for your future. That's better for the present. So I think I don't think they will sell him, just because it might be hard to move him. Who's gonna mm. pay that much money for? Because you know it's gonna have to be upwards of, as you said, a hundred, hundred twenty, somewhere in that ballpark. So it may be hard to convince some teams to go for him. But he's that good of a player. I would try and get rid of him. I think he's done his job there. I think PSG go for him. I think Manu go for him. I think Spurs go for him. I wouldn't be surprised if Chelsea went for him. I think there'd be plenty of teams. Going for Bale. Yeah, and it, as and as we said again, it would bankroll your move for Mbappe. Absolutely. And that's a better swap for, again, I'll say it again, for the present and for the future. So why not do it for me? The next one. With the potential arrivals of Ben Mendy and Danny Alves, Manchester City will have the best defense in the Premier League. Whew. It's a red light for me, but I don't... It's not a very clear red light. Now, it could be a yellow. It's maybe turning into a red. It could be a green soon. Um, I still think Chelsea and Spurs will have a better defense. I think both teams, especially I'm assuming with Chelsea, that they're going to be bringing in somewhere, be it Virgil van Dijk. Hopefully not Antonio Rudiger. You know, that's, that's for another day. And Alexandra. Alexandra coming in, of course. I mean, that's pretty much confirmed. I'm saying in addition to that, mm-hmm. a, a third center back to really start for K, or maybe even Christensen. I think with that, with that system, I would still pick. And let's not forget when you, when you say the defense, I'm going to include the goalkeeper here. I think we should we should package that in here. Maybe it's unfair, maybe it's not, but I still think at the end of the day, Courtois and Lloris are better than Ederson. So I think for me, defenders are better for both those teams. 
even if Spurs lose Walker, they showed even if Trippier there, the, those two center backs there, that pairing is still world class. And City would be very close to them, but I still think not quite at the level of Chelsea and Spurs. Initially, I think I was going to say red light on this as well and, and, and go for Spurs. But the more I'm thinking about it, I'm going to go green light for right now. And I think it's because if you go player for player, I think Ederson and Lloris are, you know, it's a wash. I, I do think that obviously, you know, Lloris has the history right now. He's been doing it for a long time. So as of now, you would probably take Lloris over Ederson. So you already think they're but, better than Chelsea. Yes, like better, for, so that's undisputed. Better, better than Chelsea okay. for me, and so that's a bit of a wash. And then you look at Mendy and Rose again, probably a tie. You know, one could prove to be better than the other. We'll see how the season develops. Center backs, Spurs take it hands down. Um, although, if a fit company is there, then I know if a fit company is there, then I'm taking again sort of like a wash with company and probably Vertonghen <laughs> over Alderweireld. Um, and then Danny Alves, I take him on his day over Kyle Walker. So while it is very, very close, I think that backline gives you more. Alves and Mendy is a threat um, going forward. I think they are the better outside back pairing. And as we talked about the value of positions, how much does, you know, Alderweireld and Vertonghen I think are better than Company and Otamendi, who's probably going to play. Maybe Stones, they're, they're going to be better. But overall, I think that the fullbacks honestly impact the game more than them. Um, and I would take Mendy and Alves over Rose and Walker. So we'll see. Let's I, see if I, Alves. Let's see if Alves can keep up this superhuman, you know, performances at going on thirty-five now. Agreed. We'll move on to the next one. It's one that we ran a poll on, and Bernardo Silva won hands down. We'll see what we think. Bernardo Silva is indeed a better overall player than Thomas Lamar. It's a green light for me, but I was surprised at how wide the poll is. I think it was like seventy-three to like yeah. twenty-seven or something like that. Uh, Better player for me, I don't get me wrong, I think both of them are world-class or near, nearing on world-class right now. But for me, Bernardo Silva is the kind of player who, when he's on his game, can win you the game, can produce that moment of magic. Whereas Lamar is more a... He's not going to set the world alight. I mean, he's a very, very good player, but I don't think he has that extra it factor, maybe that a Bernardo Silva, that a Hazard has. But undoubtedly, I'd take either one of my team. And if you can get Lamar for $30 million, $35 million, then, you know, not even a question. People are going to think I'm just the contrarian on the show right now, <laughs> but I'm actually going to say red light again. I think Thomas Lamar is a better overall player than Bernardo Silva, and I'm going to get slated for this, and I'm excited <laughs> for it. But I just I just think that Bernardo Silva, well, fantastic. It's splitting hairs. I'm not, you know, saying that Lamar is much, much better. But I just think that Lamar gives you a little bit more um, versatility. He can play anywhere in midfield and do a really good job for you. He can play in a number of positions, whether it's center mid in a 4-3-3, whether it's center mid in a two-man midfield, whether it's left mid, whether it's right mid. He can do it all, and he can do it all very, very well, as we saw with Monaco. Whereas I think Bernardo Silva is a bit more of a specialist who you kind of need to play in a certain system and in a certain position for him to do well. Plus, this is what we were talking about before we... Why this argument came up and why we made the poll was that um, we were comparing Ozil and Kevin De Bruyne, and I kind of think there's similarities here between Bernardo Silva and Mesut Ozil and Thomas Lamar and Kevin De Bruyne, whereas Kevin De Bruyne doesn't really wow you. He's not really glorious to watch. He's not really, like, elegant. You know, he's not that really that type of player, but he just really gets it done. He has fantastic delivery. He can, again, play as, like, a center mid, a left mid, a right mid. Um, he has great end product, he scores a lot, uh, he assists a lot, and that's kind of what Thomas Lamar is. You looked at the stats, 15 goals, 15 assists for Lamar, and Bernardo Silva had something like 9 goals and 8 assists. 
which is sort of like the return that you might get out of a Mesut Ozil, but at the end of the day, Mesut Ozil may like wow you, Bernardo Silva may wow you, they also may drift out of games a little bit, which is why, controversial, but I rate Thomas Lamar just a bit above Bernardo Silva for his versatility and his Would you have taken him at City over Bernardo Silva? Uh, in that system? Uh, no. I think Bernardo Silva fits right. better at Manchester City than Lamar does. Because they already have Kevin De Bruyne, who I've just compared. <laughs> and so actually, speaking of Kevin De Bruyne, it's another one that we ran on Twitter this week. Kevin De Bruyne is the best playmaker in the Premier League. I think it's very close. I think this is a red light for me. But again, I'm surprised by the Twitter poll again with the man who, for me, is the best playmaker in the, in the EPL, and that's Coutinho. Felipe Coutinho... There's not Brazilian bias here. I legitimately think Coutinho is the most talented out of all those guys we had. I think it was Ozo, the Bruin, Coutinho, and... Um, it was just those three. It was just those three. Okay, yeah. So, I think out of those three, especially when you play Coutinho, I think where he should play, which is deeper in midfield, really where he played against West Ham was his best game of the season by a mile, where he plays for Brazil. Uh, it's Coutinho for me, I think. Not splitting... Like you said, it's splitting hairs here, but for me, Coutinho just takes it, followed by the Bruin, and... Ozo, while when he's maybe on top of his game, might be the best out of all three of them, it's just very inconsistent. It doesn't happen enough for me to rate him above either one of them. And I'm going to go ahead and say that this is a green light. Um, I do think that as of right now, uh, Kevin De Bruyne is the best playmaker in the Premier League. We saw that with the amount of assists he had this season. Um, I think what's great about De Bruyne is, uh, it's again sort of a point I was talking about with Lamar, is sort of his versatility. He can get assists in a number of ways. Um, because he is a brilliant crosser of the ball, um, he's a great passer of the ball, he can shoot well from distance, which, you know, in terms of fantasy, Premier League can get you assists, because a parried <laughs> shot to a goal, you know, it's an assist in a way. So he, he, he's a little bit more versatile than Ozil and Coutinho, but it's splitting hairs. I think Coutinho and Ozil are obviously fantastic, and especially on their day, and especially now that Coutinho is playing where he should be, or hopefully this season he'll play where he should be. Thank you, which is as um, one of the midfielders in a midfield three, where he has a little bit of protection, but he can get the ball deep, he can orchestrate. And so I think this will be a more interesting question after next season. Yep. I think after next season, we'll really know for sure who takes his game to new heights and who doesn't, because I think that Coutinho is on the up, Ozil is kind of on the down, and Kevin De Bruyne's kind of, you know what you're going to get. You, and, you know what you're going to get. And Ozil's such a luxury player that it seems that he might end up re-signing for Arsenal simply because... No team's really interested in getting him. He fought PSG. They don't seem to be interested. Almost went to, they're saying Galatasaray or somewhere in the Turkish league. He's a luxury player. Mm. And it's actually a point that... So Coutinho's going to make that move into the middle, into uh, probably being a midfielder in a midfield three. I do think that's where Ozil needs to end up if we're going to get the best out of him. He has to try and reinvent himself to get as playing as sort of like a number eight, kind of as a number eight um, in a midfield three with some, you know, Xhaka behind him acting as that faux Xavi Alonso like he was at Real Madrid. So we'll see how Ozil and Coutinho do this season. As I said, I think it'll be a more interesting one after next year. But for now, probably Kevin De Bruyne, although our main Brazilian man thinks it is Coutinho. So now we'll move into stoppage time or Fergie time. And I'll say it again, my main man, Sergio Roberto time. And talk about our little rant for the day. And those of you out there who know me are going to like this one because I'm going to criticize Cristiano Ronaldo for once again taking the fifth penalty 
in a shootout, and yes, it was only a Confederations Cup, and this was a, it was, it was a little funny tidbit, is that depending on what happened in this Confederations <laughs> Cup, the fans would have really just come out. If Ronaldo had won this Confederations Cup, you know everyone's saying, oh, he's got his second major international title. <laughs> and then, you know, the Messi fans would have said, oh, it doesn't matter, it's a Confederations <laughs> Cup, who cares? And now that he's lost, it's like the other way around. Messi's, Messi fans are, oh, Ronaldo bottling an international tournament. Ronaldo fans are like, oh, it's just the Confederations Cup, it doesn't matter. Congratulations to Ronaldo, by the way, on the birth of the Twins. <laughs> <laughs> and then, and so anyway, so coming to that point, I think it was... This is not really a Ronaldo criticism. As a, so yeah, let's not make this a Ronaldo. Yeah, as, make it, make yeah, it clear. As, as so much as it is a general point that we're making based off the fact that he took this fifth penalty. And as we know, it didn't get to him because they lost 3-0. And it's something for me that we tweeted it at the time. And now people can know that that was me who tweeted that at the time. <laughs> that I genuinely believe that if you are either the leader of the team say you're the captain you're the best player or you are the best you know the undisputed penalty kick taker um like r2 or vidal is for chile you take the first penalty you are telling your team you know what guys i'm the leader i'm gonna take this ball first i'm gonna stick it in the net and we are gonna be i'm gonna lead you guys to victory i'm gonna get us on our way to victory i've done my bit i've shown courage i've taken this penalty now, I've done my bit. You guys carry, get the job done because that's what a leader does. You get it going, you set the wheels in motion, and then you let your teammates finish it off. And I just think that leaving yourself to go fourth or fifth, it screams to me that you want the glory of the final kick. And this is not just a Ronaldo criticism because other people have done this. We were actually, we looked through maybe 50 penalty shootouts in the past, um, I don't know, 20 years-ish major World Cups, European Championships, Champions Leagues, whatever it might be. And we saw some other people who ended up going fifth, like Del Piero likes to go fifth a lot for Juventus. He did that a few times. So it's not, you know, it's not a be-all, end-all. There's no 100% correct decision. But the majority of players who are the leader, who are the captain, who are the best player, you go first. You guarantee that you are going to take a kick, and you guarantee that you are going to impact this penalty shootout, and you're going to impact the result of this game for your team. And I can rattle off so many names and so many captains and so many leaders who ended up going, who, who took penalties first. You look like Pirlo, Forlan, Van Persie, Messi, Lampard, Shevchenko, Hierro, Robbie Keane, the original Ronaldo, Zidane, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. All these guys went first in major shootouts. And I just think it that's what you need to do um, to take your team over the hump. And I think it's just a little bit maybe a little bit I don't want to say selfish because you still want to take a penalty but I think that if you are the main man you should be guaranteeing that you're going to take one and you're going to impact this which is why I think you go first and at the very least at the very least if you're not going to go first kick in the top three because then at least you're guaranteed a shot Um, I still would prefer you to go first lead us to glory lead us to victory be a leader but if you're not going to go first at least go second or third like we saw Routinely with Lampard would love to go third and shootouts. We'd saw with Michael Ballock love to go like second or third and shootouts. So that type of thing. And yeah, so I think Ronaldo, hey, next time, man, go first in a shootout. Lead your team to victory. Like he did, which I'll to give him fair, to give him credit, like he did against Poland in Euro twenty sixteen, but weirdly not this time or against Spain in Euro twenty twelve. And what's funny about this, Mark, is we never just so our listeners know, we never discussed what we're going to talk about in Fergie time, Serge Roberto time beforehand. <laughs> and funnily enough, I'm actually going to talk about the exact same ah, thing you just well, said. Great, great. Problem is, <laughs> I was actually going to talk about the importance of the fifth guy being that man. Oh, you know, man. the main man. Oh, okay. And if you want to talk about examples, I have a few examples here. 
But actually, you know what, Mark, before I get into these examples, let me just clear something up before I get slaughtered again on YouTube, on Twitter, on Facebook, everywhere. I agree with you that after looking at all these games, and I, I think I said it to you even before I looked at this, that I believe the general trend is the main man or you know the captain, the best player, the penalty taker goes first. And like we saw, it's probably around 60 to 70%. Yeah, we basically looked at, as we said, like 50 shootouts. And yeah. I would say we agree it was probably 60, 70% of the time either the captain, best player, air or quotes, or like main penalty taker right. did go first. Yeah, and so I, 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 that's what I expected it to be. I told you that beforehand. So I'm not, before anyone you know, slaughters me here, that is not what I'm arguing for here. However, in my opinion, I think, one, there's proof that guys have gone fifth and like to go fifth. Let me just mention a few of them real quick. Shevchenko, of course, at club level, not at international level, but for Milan in both Champions League finals, went fifth, famously missing in 2005. Gerrard, in that 2005 final, would have gone fifth. He just never got to him because Shevchenko missed. Neymar against Chile in the World Cup. Klinsman, back in the day in 1990, was going to go last. Del Piero, like you said, likes to go last. Drogba goes last. Baggio famously missed that penalty against Brazil. And, of course, we see what happens when you sometimes have a guy going last that shouldn't go last. With Brazil, you have Zico in the 86 World Cup, one of the best penalty takers of all time. He actually missed a penalty during that game in regular time against France. And in the penalty shootout, I think he went second or third. In fifth, we had Carlos Sergio, or I forget, some, one of our old strikers, was not the best player on the team, was not really ready for that pressure situation. What happened? He missed. Same with JT in 2008. It would have been Drogba's penalty. He got a red card. JT steps up. Why? Because it's... The highest penalty, the, the highest pressure penalty. The captain stepped up because I'm assuming nobody wanted to step up there because Lampard always goes, like we said, in the first three. And what happened? He missed that. Would he have missed if he went second? I think absolutely not. And I think, like I said, I don't want this to sound like I'm saying it's it's a wrong it's wrong to say that the best one goes first because that seems to be the trend. I acknowledge that. I just think that what what a Ronaldo does, what a Neymar does, what a Drogba did in 2012. I think the best player. The how can we term the, the man for that team? You know, I think he should go last. I think there's more pressure in a guy closing out a game, maybe winning the team's first ever World Cup, first ever Champions League title to win that. I think there's more pressure, as well as the flip side, like we saw with Neymar against Chile, where had he missed, Chile would have stepped up for the winning penalty. Do you think any Brazilian player from that 7 1 team could have taken that fifth penalty that Neymar took with that cool, slotted it in? I don't think so. We saw Thiago Silva crying. We saw Robin, who was the penalty taker for Bayern Munich in 2012 after missing one, didn't even take it in the shootout. So, for me, I think it's a fair argument on both sides, but I can completely see the logic behind the best player going fifth, and I think I'm perfectly fine with him going fifth. That's, I mean, it's, it's fair enough. Like, I, as we said, we, when we, I would say routinely the other 20-30% of these, you know, what we like to call them, like, quote-unquote, like, main men for these teams, if they weren't going first the general trend in the opposite direction was that they generally kind of went fifth. So it's basically either you're going first the majority of the time, but the other times you're probably going last. And most penalties go to the fourth or fifth penalty as well. And most penalties do go to the, most penalties do, do go to four or five. So you're, you know, going fifth is not, you know, you're expecting still to take one, you know, hoping that your team gets the job done. But as I said, I think you always go first. You lead the team, you do it. But Tomas says the fifth penalty can be incredibly stressful because either, more often than not, it's either the penalty to win it or the penalty to keep you going and going overtime. So it is a, obviously a very stressful penalties. All, all penalties in penalty shootouts are stressful inherently. That's why I just think, but 
You know, if you want to get your team there, you start your team off right, you score the goal, you say, hey boys, we're gonna win this, I'm gonna show us how, and you do that. And if you miss, you know, you're, you're putting the blame on yourself. Like, I stepped up, I tried, I missed, you know, it's okay, but now, you know, just using the Ronaldo example, he kind of looks a little bit soft. Like, you know, he kind of gets, he gets out of it a little bit because he didn't take one. Um, but, you know, he probably should have. But it's up for debate. That's what I think. That's what Tomas thinks. And, and that's why we're here to disagree and to present some opinions for you guys out there. So let us know what you think. It was, it was a kind of a hot topic. Maybe we'll put another poll out there and see what people think. It'd be interesting. It would be interesting to see. That's all we have time for today. Thank you so much for listening. Give us a follow on Twitter and SoundCloud at EIF Soccer. Subscribe to our YouTube channel, EIF Soccer. Give us a like on Facebook, everything is football. And check us out next time. Bye-bye. You straight out of magazine, feel things I ain't ever felt.